Our reading this morning is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning. 
So this morning we're looking at this story of Saul's conversion and as we've already heard the time when he was renamed Paul. Now Saul's uh, namesake in the Old Testament was uh, King Saul and he started well with God but he ended up destroying uh, the anointed of God or wanting to destroy the anointed of God which of course was King David and I think that's why Saul wanted to change his name because he started badly and was wanting to destroy the people who were following the Lord Jesus uh, but he wanted to have another name which doesn't mean very much actually because Paul simply describes who he was he was a little man uh, so uh, That's all that that means. But I want to look at this story from an unusual angle. Paul wrote to the young uh, leader, Timothy, when he was about 18, 19, 20, something around that time. He wrote this. He said, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an arrogant man, I was treated with mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And our Lord's grace was abundant. And here is why I was treated with mercy. So that in me, as the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus could demonstrate his utmost patience to serve as an example to all in the future who should trust him for eternal life. In other words, God had us in view in all of this that was happening to Saul. God's design in bringing Saul to faith in Jesus as his Messiah was to give us hope, both in our own selves, but much more importantly, hope for others that we want to see come to faith. For if Jesus can change a zealous enemy of the gospel, a devout and educated Jew like Saul of Tarsus, he can change anyone. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? God salvaged Paul from this murderous path for our sake so that we would see abundant grace and divine mercy and perfect patience and be encouraged and be confident as we pray for this divine change in the people around us. So note that Paul was a zealous opponent of the gospel. The transformation of Paul was a change from an utterly committed opponent of Christianity. In Acts 8 verse 3, Luke tells us that Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and having them put in prison which indicates how much authority this man, Saul, had in the community, that he could just grab people from their homes and put them in prison. Then in Acts 9, Luke says that Saul was not just threatening the Christians, he was breathing threats, is the phrase. In other words, he was so focused on this, it was like the air he breathed. So what do we know about this man Saul? Well, he belonged to the tribe of Benjamin, the purest heritage, the blue-blooded tribe, if you like, of Israel. That is the same tribe as King David 
belonged to, and of course the tribe that uh, eventually Jesus belongs to. He's well educated, he's trained with Gamaliel, one of the Israel's greatest teachers. He's ambitious, we're told that he advanced quickly up the ranks of the Pharisees, and we're told that he had the ability and the desire and the talent that far exceeded those of his peers. He hated those who preached and taught heresy against the law that had led Israel for so many years. He was loyal. Did you notice in that passage that we read that before he did any of this persecution, he went to the high priest at the synagogue and made sure he had the correct letters to enable him to do what he wanted to do. He was a Pharisee. And Pharisaism was all about doing the right things in the right way to achieve acceptance from God. And then to be able to boast, to be proud of that diligent way of life. Jesus, however, taught his followers that God loved them for who they were. And that he, Jesus, would pay the penalty for their sins, their shortcomings, their failings. And for a Pharisee to accept that would mean that they had nothing to boast about. And so Paul later on says that he would much rather boast in his weaknesses, much rather boast in his failings, because then the grace of God would be poured out upon him. Now Saul was so fixated on how badly hoodwinked Jesus' disciples were that he even took this persecution 150 miles north to Damascus, planning to bring Christians all the way back to Jerusalem for punishment. This is the kind of person that no one expects to be converted, right? A person so opposed to God's grace, so opposed to God's love, that change seemed impossible. Think Genghis Khan. Nazi Dung, Hitler, Pinochet, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Putin. Perhaps rather than praying that somebody would knock Putin off, we should pray that God would break into his life with a light as shining and as bright as Saul had on the road to Damascus. And Saul's opposition was too deep and we know was very articulate. So we are encouraged to see that the most unlikely people can come to faith in Jesus. God's mercy and power are not limited to people who've been brought up with clean or moral track records. The chief of sinners was impacted by God's love. And that means hope in our evangelism and in our own faltering attempts to share the good news. Notice too that this encounter was sudden and unexpected. In verse 3, when he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazzled by a blinding flash of light. We might think that Saul was tormented by a guilty conscience because he had been there when Stephen was being stoned. But that is not what Paul says about his own experience. 
When he tells his own story in Galatians, he simply says that he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers and that he was advancing in Judaism beyond all his contemporaries because of his actions in persecuting the church. And when he tells his testimony in Acts, he says that he had lived in good conscience right up until that day on the Damascus Road. So when he watched Stephen being stoned, he didn't have a guilty conscience. He thought that was the right thing to happen. He never thought about God in this way. It wasn't a climax of a long process of God uh, convicting him of his waywardness. It wasn't that God was scaring him with the eventual uh, reality of death and hell. There was no long process here. It was sudden and it was utterly unexpected. So this means that we should not be discouraged when people we are praying for show, so, show no signs of being anywhere near the faith. Nor should we tick any kind of process off in our minds. The Lord deals with each of us very differently, including the way he grabs our attention in the first place. Saul was not open. He was not interested. He was utterly closed, utterly convinced that Christianity was untrue. But thirdly, notice that this was totally an act of divine grace. On the Damascus Road, Saul was overwhelmed. God causes this light to flash from heaven with blinding brightness. In fact, it left Paul blind for three days, a powerful sign of the physical darkness, that, uh, the spiritual darkness that he was living in. And then this gentler light dawned as Ananias laid hands on him and prayed and the blindness lifted. By the way, what would you have thought if you were Ananias? Ananias correctly says, doesn't he? Uh, well, I've heard of this guy. He's going around putting our people, our brothers and sisters in prison. And you imagine Ananias approaching Saul to lay hands on him with a kind of uh, tentative thing. Is he going to grab my hands and put me in cuffs or something? Confronted by this anti-missionary, this dangerous man. And then there was this voice from heaven that speaks to Saul. He hadn't really heard the voice of God. He'd heard the voice of religion. But this, he knew, was a totally different kind of voice. A voice with power and authority. This was the same voice that had spoken the world into existence. This is the same voice that called to Adam and Eve every day at the, in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. This is the same voice that spoke to Moses, giving him the law on Mount Sinai. This was the same voice that spoke to Lazarus and said, rise from the tomb. This is the same voice that speaks to each one of us. It's the same voice, which is the reason that you're here today, believing in Jesus and worshipping him as your Lord and Saviour. And this is the same voice that will one day say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And when that voice came from heaven, Saul knew it was no ordinary voice. Jesus had come to make a change in Saul's life and revealed his identity. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Jesus is authoritative here to this leader, this renowned leader of the Pharisees. He gives him clear instructions and shows his intention to win Saul's heart. Now those around him didn't hear this voice. They were witnesses to the event, but they weren't privileged to really see or understand or know what was really happening And today, those who haven't heard that voice find it hard to understand. They know something has changed in us. They know that we're different. But until they hear that voice, they don't understand. And that's why we use this phrase constantly, well, not constantly anymore, but we used to, uh, we used to use that phrase, have you seen the light, you know, Um, because it was so dramatic. Now, we should note in closing that some preachers have said that Paul's experience was heat stroke from the desert sun or that he was struck by a bolt of lightning on a clear day and he only thought he heard a voice or that he had an epileptic seizure. People are always trying to explain away the things of the supernatural. But the reality is that when we are confronted with the light of Jesus, The eyes of our spirits are opened. The light of God's love flows in and we can't help but be changed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your variety that every single one of us has come to know you in a completely different way. But we thank you that this really dramatic story of the greatest persecutor of the early church was changed in a flash. And it encourages us, Lord, that when we are praying for those that don't yet know you, when we try and find words to express what has gone on in our hearts, and how you have changed us. It encourages us to see that you can change the person that we're talking to, even if that person seems miles away, even if that person seems so opposed to who you are and what you want to do. And so we thank you for that encouragement this morning, Lord. We pray that it will give us boldness, We pray like Ananias, we will take the risk and despite what we have heard, we will believe that you have a plan for the person that we are praying for. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.